Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. You're new to Sunridge. My name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And first off, I want to thank Jed for stepping up last week to be our teacher. Um, my uh, seventh grandchild arrived last Sunday during this time. And uh, Lennox Jeter Ellis is in the world. LJ, you may know him uh, by. You will see him uh, in Major League Baseball soon. And uh, he has meat hooks. His, his, he has Popeye arms already. And, but, and that's after his dad, but he got his good looks from his grampy. And, uh, so, and I also want to thank you guys uh, for being patient. Let, you know, if you're like me, I like everything to be in order and for us to teach the passage out of sequence probably was upsetting to some of you, but uh, we're going to make up for that today. Um, so uh, today, instead of having a reader, I'm inviting you to read our scripture with us, and there's a reason for that, which will become apparent as we go through. So we are readers together of First uh, Peter, that's the letter that we're studying, we're going to put the passage up here, and I ask you to read along with me, okay, from starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Join me in praying if you're a person of faith this morning. God, these words that we've said, um, if we were truly thinking about them, are beyond challenging in the context in which they're written. And so we ask your Holy Spirit to come upon our church right now, whether it is in this building or online or later as people listen to the podcast, that we, we invite your spirit to nudge us and to push us and to open our hearts to these radical but fundamental truths about following Jesus in a time that um, is not Christian. It's so amazing to me, Lord, that Something that was written to a church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago still applies today, and we're going to be open to that. We're going to be open to what Peter has to say to these first century believers and try our best 
uh, with your strength to put these words into practice in our lives. Amen. Thank you. You can uh, take a seat if you'd like. So, I don't know if you uh, agree with me or not, but I'm going to make a statement. I think that we're living in a culture of outrage and insults. I mean, it seems like we're mad all the time at everything we can possibly be mad at and everyone we can be mad at. And sometimes, to be honest, we just make things up to be mad about. A little ripple of giggle there. I love this quote uh, from Raymond Novako, professor of psychology at UC Irvine. We are living, in effect, in a big anger incubator. And have you noticed that some of the things that we're most outraged about, we know the least about? I mean, if you think about the last couple of years, the things that we've been so outraged about, they're tied to a pandemic, uh, the economy, and in many cases, race. And I don't know about you, but I'm not an epidemiologist. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I'm not an economist, and I'm not a sociologist. Are you? Some of you might be. So some of these things that are affecting our culture today and we have strong feelings about, um, some of you might be experts in that field. I'm certainly not. You know, it's too bad there isn't a vaccine for anger. Now, I know I just made more of you outraged. So please don't insult me with an email. You may if you want. It was just a joke. And did you know that uh, we can become addicted to anger? Human neurobiology rewards anger. Psychologists say that anger can actually be a stimulant, like similar to the rush we feel when we're in a thrill-seeking activity, or even like a drug, like cocaine, where uh, dopamine rewards the receptors in our brains. So we become habituated to being angry, and subconsciously we start looking for things to be angry about. We seek an anger fix, looking to score one outrage after another. And in the moment, that outrage feels good. It's like a rush, especially if we can vindicate ourselves somehow with a good zinger, or we can one-up somebody and show how stupid and moronic their arguments are about X, right? It can feel so good. It can feel so good that we're, we seek that feeling even if we're under-informed or even if we could be misinformed. And our addiction is so strong that we want others to join us in our outrage about the same things that outrage us, so we want to pass on our outrage. And maybe that's why Proverbs says in 22, 24, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. 
We've become people who thrive on outrage. And there's an economy to outrage. Cable news networks are getting rich off of our outrage. Politicians are raising millions upon millions of dollars with outrage. And let's be honest, some churches thrive on outrage. Is there another way? Is this even the Christian way? Is the Christian's calling to answer insults and frustrations and different views with just a Christianized version of other outrage and insults and slander and bullying? This series that we're doing called Countercultural is about living counterculturally. To live as a Christian in a culture that isn't. And by the way, let's just, let's just humble ourselves and say that we are part of this. Part of this is the evangelical culture. And Peter's letter that we're studying from is written to a situation in which Christians are facing the outrage of their culture. They're just a couple of years away from being persecuted for their faith in Asia Minor, modern Turkey. And what he says to them about how to live in that context is the epitome of countercultural living. And basically, he's going to, in this text today, we're going to look at three things. First of all, he reminds them of core Christian values or virtues, and then he's going to talk about how we need to live by a calling rather than reacting. And then lastly, he's going to invite us into living an outrageous alternative to outrage. Number one, return to countercultural Christian virtues. And Christian is the fill-in here, you guys. It's about returning to core Christian virtues because historic Christianity is at risk right now. Theological evangelicalism, and that word means a lot of things today, is now being replaced by political evangelicalism. And that has been confirmed by a recent Pew uh, study in which they found in the last five years, those who identify as white evangelicals actually grew by 4%. Now, are you encouraged by that? Well, let me give you the other side of it. That of those white evangelicals, since 2008, those who say they never or seldom attend church went up from 16 to 26%. And those who say they attend church weekly or more went down from 58% to 49%. Now, first of all, there is no mention in the New Testament of a Christian who is not attached to a church. That's, I'm not giving you church guilt. I'm just saying that Christians were part of a church. They didn't attend church. They were part of the church. But secondly, this increase in identifying as an evangelical, but decrease in church attendance and being truly attached to the church is causing a disconnect from biblical literacy. And as we will see, core Christian ethics. Look at what Peter says in verse 8. Finally, all of you 
Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, even those, I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, those aren't new words to you. Those are not new concepts. So basic doesn't mean elementary. Basic here means fundamental and critical, critical to functionality. And even though I know these words are right here in the text, I want us today to take time to write them down in our notes so that we imprint them in our minds. And we're going to unpack some of them before we... This is where we'll start, okay? The first word is to be like-minded. And like-minded here does not mean uniformity or robotic conformity. It actually means harmony. The Greek word is homophone. It means harmonious. Now, I want you to listen to some harmony from the Eagles live album of 1980. Would you guys play it for me? And just listen. There are stars in the southern sky Southward as you trees down the seven bridges roll. now I know some of you are having like flashbacks you got your red cup up and you're like you're at that concert you know but never mind that I wanted you to hear the harmony wasn't it beautiful big shout out to the eagles you know some of you youngsters need to check them out so harmony, you, as you probably already know, is a singing of different notes, right? Like while, while, I'm not a musician, while one voice goes up in octaves, the others go down, but it's doing so in a way that blends the notes. And it can be, I mean, is there something more than four-part harmony? Is there like, that was, I think, four-part harmony. So four different ways of singing the same words. Now, the other option that we have is when we, have, when we sing from a different sheet of music, we could just sing louder than anybody else. Or we could condemn the melody of the other singers, or we could blend our voices together. And that's called harmony. And my observation has been over the years that there has never been a shortage of different things that need to be harmonized, different doctrines, different musical pre preference, different, different political persuasion, different issues, different personalities. So harmony is not saying we don't have differences. Harmony is how we hold our differences. That is the, per, Peter's word here in the, in the New International Version is to be like-minded. And so our choice here is we can either choose to blend our non-critical issues in harmony with one another, or we can insist that everybody sings from our sheet of music. And by the way, you know, harmony is most needed. It's most important when it's most needed, right? 
So Peter said, all of you, sing in harmony. Why don't you look at someone next to you or around you, just look at them right now and say, sing in harmony. Okay, you better get used to that because we're going to do a lot of that today. Second thing, Christian virtue that Peter brings out is to be sympathetic, which I think you guys know what that means is to be able to, to have feelings for this other person. Do you, do you know that there's a thing right now? There's a thing in Christian theology that says it's unbiblical to have empathy for another person. This is a thing. I, did, I'm, I don't know that much about it. I've read some on it. The only problem with that is that Jesus is often portrayed as being able to feel what we can feel. He knew what it was like to be hungry, to be despised in his crew of those who made a living out of taking advantage of others. He knew what it was like to be uh, outcast because you were a different religion or race or to be outcast because you were forced into prostitution. He knew what it was like to battle your demons or mental illness. He knew about the incredible pressure to conform. And he knew what it was like to be humiliated and caught red-handed in a sin. You, these should trigger Bible stories for most of you. You know, psychologists talk about contact theory. It comes from the 1950s. It's been kind of... Uh, you know, molded since then, but it, it's just basically, we have these stereotypes of people, and, and because we have them, we, we keep them at distance, but once you actually know a person that you had that stereotype about, once you know them as a person, your views don't change, but your feelings about them change, and it's not as easy to just insult them or slander them because you have you have this sympathetic feeling toward them. Um, years ago, when I was a pastor in Huntington Beach, uh, we had an extraordinary worship director. Extraordinary. Like beyond anything I've ever seen. And um, later in his life, he came out as being gay. This is my friend. And uh, recently... Um, I was able to sit down and have breakfast with him. And we hadn't seen each other in, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And even though we have a different position, I mean, th this is one of those places where my theology doesn't always match my feelings. You know, I love this guy. But I have a theology that's more traditional and conservative about human lifestyle and choices. And yet, I don't hate him. I have, like I asked him, I said, tell me what it is like for you to be a person who loves God and lives this. What has it been like for you? And he talked about how incredibly lonely it had been for him. And he, t he said, you know, here's the thing for me. He said, there's this thing that I feel that I was made to do, and I'm good at it. It's the thing I've loved my whole life, and it's true. And yet that's denied me now because of my, my choice. 
you know, my heart goes out to him. That's sympathy, empathy. And all of us can pick a category, right? We can pick our categories of people that we've stereotyped and put far from us. But feeling how it must be to be the other goes a long way toward being able to reflect Jesus in their life. So all of you, be sympathetic. Turn to somebody and say, be sympathetic. Next is brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. It's an interesting choice of words here to describe the love that we would show, that we show in a culture that's rejecting Christianity. Because in my mind, you think it would be agape, right? This unconditional love. That's what it calls for, which it does. But Peter specifically uses, and the Greek language is much richer than, than English language, he uses this word Philadelphus, which is like, it's Philadelphia brotherly love. That's what he's saying. And doesn't that, like, it puts meat on the bones of caring for somebody, how we respond with people that are different than us. You know, agape, certainly misapplied, can kind of, can kind of make you feel like, like proud of yourself. I, I gave this unconditional love to this person who was so undeserving of it and that I conjured it up through the power of the Spirit and then I loved them. Check. But he doesn't use that word. He uses brotherly affection, which causes us to be more attached to them. Brotherly affection, like, it's like a family connection with somebody. Now, those of you that have brothers or sisters or maybe, you know, you have kids. It's like, you know, when siblings fight, um, that actually happened in our home too. It's so remarkable that a pastor could have children that fought with one another. But we would, you know, let them fight until someone won or, no, no, we wouldn't do that. It's like, we'd intervene. I'd be mad. It was girls too. It's like, girl fight, awesome. But um, we would... We'd say, okay, like, that fight's over. Like, now say you're sorry, and then give each other a hug. Anybody else do, do that torture to your children, or was that just us? Now give each other a hug. It's like, whether that was good parenting or not, you'd be the judge. But, like, the point was, this is your, this is your sister. This is family. Don't you wish that we could do that more often in our culture? Don't you wish you could put two people together two parties together, two disparate groups, and say, now you guys, say you're sorry and give each other a hug. <laughs> Can't you see Mitch McConnell giving Nancy Pelosi a big hug? <laughs> Would that make the world better or not? So all of you, show brotherly affection. Turn to somebody and say, show brotherly affection. It's getting easier, isn't it? Awesome. Next up, be compassionate. Compassionate. This is affection that comes from your guts. This is one of the times the Bible says you should have a feeling. Think about this. Like the Bible often tells us to do a thing. But here, Peter's saying you should have this feeling. You should have compassion. It's the same word that describes Jesus' feeling as he looked at the crowds, right? He looked, he was moved with compassion. It can be translated tender-hearted, even. And isn't that 
the exact opposite of what we want to do when we face hostility or someone has a different view from us. We, we want to make them our enemies. And my natural response is, like, I have two to somebody who I feel is hostile to me, to feel no feelings, to shut down, or to hate them in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that I feel justified about it. But following Jesus is, is a change. It's renewing of our minds, as we learned this summer. We went back to Romans 12, 2, over and over again. It's like, we have to change the way we think. And I loved what we did in the summer because we followed these practices that were designed to change us from the inside out. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes you got to do what you're supposed to do, Right? But, like, isn't it much better when your heart has been rewired in a way that it's the natural thing you want to do, to feel compassion for somebody? And again, kind of like harmony, um, the time this matters most is when it matters most to be compassionate. Look at your neighbor again and say, be compassionate. And last, you guys are a little weak on that. You okay? Last is be humble, which can be translated humble of mind or friendly of mind. It can even be translated courteous. You know, humility is one of the most prominent of the Christian virtues. That word or its derivative is used 170 times in your Bible. Humble, show humility. Is that what we're showing today? Let's stand and let's read this verse again with a couple of changes, okay? I've changed it to us. Because Peter's writing it to them, but we're going to say it like it's us. Okay. Finally, all of us, be harmonious, be sympathetic, show brotherly affection, be compassionate and humble. Thank you. You can be seated. I appreciate you guys playing along. I'm not trying to shove you around and make you do something you don't want to do and make you more outraged at me than you would have been already. You know, at first, doesn't this list, these, these simple Christian virtues, doesn't it seem so elementary? But it's, they're elementary because they're fundamental. And they're fundamental because they are core Christian virtues. You ever heard the phrase, we need to go back to the fundamentals? Whatever your sport is. Like, I, I looked on, like, I, I like to follow college football, and some teams lost this week and that I didn't think would lose. And so when I went to read, catch up on them, you know what, like if you hear the coach talk, you know what they say? Every time, it's, it, they may not say it exactly, but they say, we need to go back to the fundamentals. Like we lost because, hey, we, were, we could not move the ball. It was uh, second and uh, uh, we had two yards and we could get a first down 
uh, right there at the goal line. We couldn't even get a yard. Any, any offense should be able to get a yard any time they want. Couldn't get it. We tackled sloppy. Penalties killed us. All these, like I'm using football, pick your sport. Um, but it's like it's all about the fundamentals. But they, they're fundamental because they're core, and it's the only way to execute and succeed. And Christianity is the same way, but fundamentals are always the first thing to go when you're under pressure. And we look for a workaround or something that will make it easier, but you can't get away from these fundamental things. These are some of the hardest things for a Christian to embrace, these virtues, but they are especially important in a day and time where people aren't embracing Christianity. And we can talk about them all we want, but if we don't demonstrate them, then we're not executing. I have a feeling that the hardest part today is not actually doing these virtues, but convincing many Christians that we're supposed to. But these are core Christian virtues. Now, if that's not enough, Peter's going to push us even further. Are you guys ready? You guys ready? Do you want to go home before like, I go to the next part? <laughs> because nothing else is going to make sense that he says unless we embrace these as Christian virtues that we need to like. We need to make them alive again, right? Bring them back. Second thing he says, to accept a countercultural calling. Return to Christian, core Christian virtues, and then accept a countercultural calling. You know what a calling is, right? It's a purpose. It's a vocation. This is the reason I exist. This is my thing. This is my jam. And in verse 9, he tells us what it is. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because... To this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. This is Peter saying that our calling is one of non-retaliation. In action, don't, don't repay evil with evil. Or in word, he says, don't repay insult with insult. This is not, this is not just countercultural, right? This is counter-natural. This is counter-intuitive because we want to return evil with evil. We want to return insult for insult. And he says, on the contrary, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Oh, man. So our calling is to bring blessing to the world. To repay evil with blessing, which can be interpreted goodness or virtue or value. Can you see how that idea stands on our foundation of Christian virtue? We're called to this. This is the thing that, like, I wake up in the morning and I say, how am I going to bless the world? 
I get my cup of coffee. I turn on the news. I open my Bible. I flip my laptop open. And I'm getting ready to prepare myself to be a blessing, to bring a blessing to the world. Does that sound like your morning? Not if you have preschoolers. They're up before you, and it's just survive, right? This, this again, goes back to the pivotal thought that Peter has, that the, where this book changes, where the letter changes, which every week since we've been looking at it, chapter 2, verse 12, where he said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is all about us living lives that change the minds of people in the world about God. And nothing will make sense in Peter's letter until that's the thing that wakes us up in the morning of bringing a blessing to the world. And he says that this, this kind of living comes with an inheritance. It's like there's, there's a payback. In other words, you give what you get, or you get what you give. And he's using this language again from the, for the Jewish Christian of that day, like this is about your ancestry. Remember the things that you value so much, that inheritance spiritually is bound to the way we live our lives. We have choices. We can get our quick fix with outrage, or we can do something that's completely surprising in our culture today that pays long-term benefits to us and to the world around us. I can tell you that one is a reaction and the other is a calling, but we pick. Lastly, if this is not enough, you guys ready for the last one? Everyone okay? Okay, so three of you are ready. I'm not ready, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. <laughs> Choose the outrageous alternative to outrage. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn away from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And here, this is a little plagiarism by Peter. He's, he's stealing from David's psalm in Psalm 34. But he's saying, if, if we want a, the good life, if we want to love life and to see good days, which is something I think all of us want, it will require a reordering of our priorities and our perspectives. You can love your life and you can see good days, but it is not found in tit for tat. It's not found in trading outrage with other people that are outraged. Instead, verse 11, he says, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The indication here is that there's not peace. And in that context, he's saying, it's, we're not trying to keep the peace, not trying to compromise, we're not trying to find our little special place 
of peace. He says to seek peace and to pursue it, which is to say, the thing that I want is peace. I seek it. And because that's what I want, that's what I pursue. I go after it. How do we seek peace in a time where, as a Christian, there's so much going on that is so different from what our Christian values are, and even sometimes hostile to those beliefs. It seems impossible. But the key is found in one, returning to those core virtues, and two, accepting that calling upon us to be a blessing in the world. And I know, it's like, like I'm looking, I've re, I'm, this, I'm a person just like you. I just get the misfortune of having to talk about this to you guys, honestly. It doesn't seem fair. It seems like, man, I'm just hanging myself out to dry, and you know, it's like, I'm going to be all alone in this. And yet, in verse 12, notice what Peter says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is attentive toward people who are doing this. Do you know what it means to be attentive, right? You do. How many of you, like, you've taken one of those hearing tests where you sit in the booth and they give you, a, they put the headphones on you and you got the little clicker and you're supposed to click every time you hear a sound? Like, are you just concentrating like crazy in that moment? You're like, you want to be quick on it? You know, it's like, you know, it's like you want to do good on that test. So you're so attentive. Sometimes you're just hearing things, right? And just click it a lot. But they know, they know. Like, I tried that. They knew that I was faking them out. God feels the same way when he watches us doing this. He is attentive. He's leaning forward. It's like when your grandchild is, is coloring you a picture and you're watching. That might have been recent in my experience. LJ's not coloring yet, but he, he is throwing a 92-mile-an-hour fastball already. But, but God is leaning forward, and he's, he's attentively watching how we struggle with this. He's seeing how we reflect his image in a world that doesn't always appreciate it. He sees how you're living different than maybe your coworker who is a Christian. He sees how you, when you wake up in the morning, your goal is not to be angry about something, but to bring a blessing to the world. There's plenty to be angry about, but our calling is to bring a blessing in that day and time. God sees that. And Peter says he's attentive toward it. How precious is that to you as a Christian who will try to do that this week with all the power the Spirit of God can give you in that? You know, if you heard the phrase before, like to be embedded um, you like news correspondents are embedded in like in the battlefield. Sometimes they're embedded in an organization or in a business, and it means that they're not just reporting on it. You know, like writing a story. They're in it. They're in the middle of it. 
We are not abandoned in this culture. We are embedded. We are embedded here to bring a blessing. To seek peace. To demonstrate, to, to manifest God's image through the most basic Christian virtues. The way of Jesus in the world. And in a, in, a, in a time when a culture is not on board with that, it's not very likely, you know, that people are just going to pick up a Bible and read about Jesus. But they are going to read the church. And in order for us to be a text that's worth, worthy of reading, we need to live out the way of Jesus. They won't read the words but they'll see Jesus in you and me. That's why Peter said, all of you. All of you. It's all of us. Can you think of a place that you're embedded right now? Like, is there a place where like, you can say, okay, I see that God has placed me in this situation so that I can demonstrate who God is and I can bring a blessing to that context. It might be in your family. We've read, a, we've read a passage, you know, as we've gone through Peter's letter about what it means for a wife in the first century to have a husband that was not a Christian and how she's embedded in that household. You're embedded in your place of work. It's like, I don't need to give you the list. You, you think of it. Where are you embedded? You got it? Okay, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And while they come up, would you just turn to somebody and say, I feel like I'm embedded here. Tell somebody where you're embedded, where you can see that you're the light. You guys are done already, huh? Okay. Thanks for doing that. That's probably more important than everything that I've just said. So what Peter's saying, and this is, I think that this is a repeat in his letter, is that incarnational living is more important than incarnational beliefs. It's important that we have our beliefs. But in this day and time, it's important that we live out those beliefs. And has, like, aren't his words far different than what maybe you were thinking? Aren't they, aren't they radical? It's like totally opposite of what we're seeing today. I want to close by reading you something from a book that I reread as part of this series. Uh, the author's name is Scott Sauls. He wrote a book titled Jesus Outside the Lines, a, a way forward for those who are tired of taking sides. And I just want you to listen to these words. I decided to write this book because I'm tired. Tired of taking sides, that is. Are you? Are you tired of gossip and negative stereotypes? Are you tired of labeling and being labeled? Are you tired of political caricatures and sh talking show outrage? Are you tired of opinions being presented as facts? Are you tired of critiques and condemnations that forego listening and relationships? Are you tired of indignant blog posts and tweets 
and Facebook posts that take a stand against everyone but to persuade no one? Are you tired of divisions over silly and secondary things? Are you tired of racism, classism, sexism, generationalism, nationalism, denominationalism, doctrinalism, and all other isms that stem from the ism that feeds them all, elite-ism? Are you tired of the glass being half empty? Are you tired of the endless quest to find something to be mad about? Are you tired of us against God, us against them, and us against ourselves? Are you tired of the ways that you too have succumbed to the againstness of it all? If you are, return to Christian virtues. Live out your countercultural calling and choose the outrageous alternative to outrage. Let's stand and worship together. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.